You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Welcome, everyone, to the Wild West podcast, where we talk to the people shaping how we think about nature, the outdoors, and California's wild places. I'm San Francisco Chronicle travel editor Greg Thomas, and this pod is a place where I interview adventure athletes and environmental advocates and the movers and shakers who are defining and redefining what we do when we go outdoors. Today, we're excited to have Tahoe snow and weather expert Brian Allegretto on the podcast. Brian has been writing excruciatingly detailed snow forecasts for the Tahoe region for the past 13 years, and he's the California snow forecaster for Open Snow, which, if you don't know, is a winter weather forecast service that he helped launch about eight years ago. They have a massive, loyal following of readers who check their forecasts daily for ski areas all over the country, Uh, but Brian is the resident guru for the Tahoe region. Um, So to give you a sense of what that means... Tens of thousands of people check out Brian's daily forecast each morning. And as you can imagine, his predictions factor into whether weekend visitors decide to drive up to Tahoe in the first place, uh, where locals go to chase powder, and all that stuff. So he's really a fundamental fixture of Tahoe's winter culture and economy, which is why I was so excited to talk to him. For me personally, it's more about the snow than it is the skiing of the snow. Powder days are amazing, but... I'm just as happy or happier sometimes just standing in the woods with snow dumping down around me. I just love snow. I just love being in it, playing in it, just living in it. And so there's an emotional attachment to it. Brian carefully crafts his forecasts each morning, and he's become sort of a local celebrity around Tahoe. People recognize him around town and at the ski lift. People pick apart his forecasts and comment on his blog every day. And he gets his fair share of haters, too, as you can imagine. So we talk about how he manages all that and what it is about snow that draws such passion from people. We also talk about his thoughts on climate change's effect on winter. And then, of course, I couldn't let him go without dishing on which resorts are his favorites. So to record the pod, I met Brian on a sunny weekday at the lodge at Sugar Bowl in Truckee. Uh, So you'll hear some ambient background chatter every now and then um, and just know that that's where we recorded. It was a great conversation, and I hope you guys enjoy it. We'll get to my conversation with Brian Allegretto in just a moment, but first, this brief message. All right, we're back. Now on to my conversation with California snow forecaster Brian Allegretto. So, Brian, you are kind of the weather, the snow guru of Lake Tahoe. Walk us through an average day in your life. When does it start? What happens? How do you come up with the predictions and the projections? So there's a big difference in a day when we're in a dry spell and a day we're in a storm series. And so it could be anything from a dry spell like this past week, you know, where I'll sleep in till 6 a.m., have all my work done by 9 a.m. because I'm putting together four different blogs. So, oh, storm day? Storm That's day. completely different. So. 
what I first have to do is... What, what time are you up on a storm I have day? to be up at between 3 and 4 a.m. Because I still want to have all my work done by 9 a.m. You know, I want to have the Tahoe blog out by 7.30, mm -hmm. 8 a.m. is my goal, and then have all four or five out by 8 a.m. So I have to get up earlier for a bunch of different reasons. One of them is because I have to calculate all the snowfall from each ski resort. I have to take all their numbers, make sure their numbers make sense, because sometimes their math's off, mm. and put all that together, and then compare that to what I forecast for the storm, plus put together the forecast for the storm that day and the day after. So, yeah, it's anything from three in the morning to six in the morning, depending on the weather, working till 9, 10 a.m. And that's just to get the blogs out. That's not, I'm done for the day, 9 a.m., and I just sit around all day. It's, you know, then I'm creating content the rest of the day. New model runs are coming out in the afternoon and the evening, so I'm constantly studying, reading, keeping track of what the weather's doing all afternoon and evening, sometimes updating the blogs in the evening if there's a big change in a storm that we're currently seeing. And then during the day, I do try to get out on the mountains and capture content for people to see what the weather's doing outside. And then I go home, edit that, upload that to social. So it keeps me pretty busy, but it's a fun job, but it's a job. It's, it's definitely a lot of work. Right. sounds like it. So between, you know, on a, on a snow day between three and six, what are you looking at exactly? What, where does the data, the information come from? So I subscribe to several professional subscription sites. And then I just go on there and I'm looking through each model and I kind of have my favorite things. So I'm pretty fast at it now. I mean, I just go in there, I grab, you know, the, the variables I'm looking for from each model, put them into this huge, huge spreadsheet that I've created and dialed in over the last 13 years. And that calculates the snowfall. And, uh, and then I'm reading a lot of blogs from meteorologists all over the country when it comes to like global weather and just the overall pattern over the next few weeks. So that way, because none of them are forecasting specifically for Tahoe. That's kind of a lot of it. And then, like I said, on the day after a storm, it throws in the extra work of calculating all those numbers, emailing resorts that the math's off, and getting the final numbers in, make sure they're accurate. <laughs> it's interesting that you say that the, the math of the resorts is sometimes off. Do you get the sense that there's any intention behind that sometimes? Or that, I'm not trying to paint the resorts in like a negative light or anything, but they are obviously incentivized to um, put out like a, <clears throat> an inflated or like a, an, uh, an optimistic, shall we say, like forecast for their specific area. I don't think they're doing it intentionally. What you have to understand is where they're measuring and what elevation, that makes a huge difference. You know, if, some ski resorts are measuring both base and summit elevations, which is really helpful. Like Squaw Valley measures at the base, at 6,200 feet, <coughs> and then they measure about 8,000 feet, the top of the Funatel. So you get a good idea of what's at the bottom of the mountain, what's at the top. Most ski resorts, 80, 85% of them, are only giving you one number. And if they're only giving you one number, where's that number coming from? Mm -hmm. Is it coming from the lower third of the mountain, the upper third, the tippy top? Some of them are measuring almost at the very top, like North Star, which is why, why they usually have like a bigger number. Um, than mountain right next to them that's measuring closer to the lower third. And some mountains have base elevations that are higher than others. Homewood Mountain goes right down to the edge of the lake at yeah. 6,200 feet. Where you go over to Alpine Meadows, the base almost starts at 7,000, which is the same as uh, Sierra Tahoe as well. Out in front of their parking lot starts at 7,000. Kirkwood starts even higher than that. You got Mountain Rose starts at 8,200. So even those base elevations can be 2,000 feet apart. So you just really have to understand like when these ski resorts are reporting, where, what elevation are they reporting from? And then, and then if you know what elevation they're reporting from, how does that relate to their base and summit elevations? And they're not really showing you that on their website very clearly, usually. They're not telling you where they're measuring the snow. 
I would just assume it's at mid-mountain to the upper mountain. I always call it the upper mountain measurement because it's usually from halfway up to higher. Hmm. So I always say the upper mountain's got this much so that people aren't expecting that much at the bottom. Right. Because I know most of the ski resorts are me- measuring on the upper two-thirds, upper third of the mountain. But the snow reporters, uh, you know, that's an hourly wage job at most of the ski resorts that is probably the low rung of entry-level marketing in the marketing department. So if you want to get into ski resort marketing, you st- step in and be a snow reporter and then work your way up. So what happens is there's a lot of turnover. And uh, that's where the math gets thrown off. Because I keep every single ski resort for the last 13 years daily reports in a spreadsheet. Um, so I can pretty much know when they're, when they're off pretty quick. <laughs> okay, so you're kind of keeping them honest a little bit. Mm-hmm. Has that had any effect that you've been able to notice on the way that they report or how careful they are about it? Yes, I, some of them. The ones that I have closer relationships with, for sure. Um, I'll catch stuff and point it out to them, and then I know they'll ask me sometimes to talk to this new reporter and explain to them you know, what we're doing, or the, I know that because they'll reply back and say, yeah, we coached the snow reporter again today. We, this is the third time this week we taught him how to do it. Hopefully he gets it right starting next week, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so I know that, like, I'm helping them to catch things because, you know, the director of marketing is running around with their head cut off, like, so busy all the time. Doing They're not paying attention to if the guy reporting snow in the morning is off by three inches. But I'm doing it because, A, I'm type A. <laughs> I used to be an accountant, and... I just like stats and statistics and numbers I'm quoting on my blog to be accurate. The second reason, though, is I grade myself every storm. I hate to be wrong. So if a ski resort, you know, I'm always making sure that they fell within the range I forecast. I'm hoping they do. So if they're screwing up their snow reports, you know, I want accurate numbers so I know how to grade myself and yeah. I improve my, my, my calculator. So do you get the sense that they have stepped their game up as a result? Because you're kind of the sheriff of snow (laughs) and more and more people are looking to open snow and yes you sense that that's had an effect in terms of maybe how much they invest in their reports or their methodology i don't think i personally have that much influence i think websites like ours though the part where i think it's really affecting them a little more now is that you have more websites with more technology more apps coming out like ours Mm -hmm. that are reporting and sending out snowfall alerts to our customers, not just theirs. They're probably becoming more cognizant because it's not just a comment on their Facebook page. It's literally thousands of emails coming in like, this is wrong. And they're affecting our business by putting it in wrong, not just theirs. It makes us look bad even though we didn't enter the information. So let's back it up for a second. After looking at so much data for so long, are there any rules of thumb that you've been able to discern? I just get a general feeling looking at the trajectory of storms coming in. This is my 13th season specifically tracking storms for Tahoe ski resorts and I just get a feeling like, okay, I've seen this before and this is what happened last time and the time before that. (laughs) Yeah. So how does being, in your case, a snowboarder, but how does actually being on the mountain help influence your projections or your predictions about these, your forecasting? Kind of circling back to like when I was saying where the ski resort's measuring and what elevation. So it just helps you really get a good handle on everything. And then, you know, I had some friends in town last week and they were like, man, this is so great having you with us because I would give them (laughs) literally the hourly conditions. I'm like, we have to be out there 
let's just sleep in today. We don't have to be out there until 1 o'clock this afternoon because there's only going to be an inch of snow over crust in the morning. There'll be about 8 inches in, in counting filling in by the afternoon. That way it'll fill in over the crust. You know, and then tomorrow morning we've got to get out by, you know, we're going to be on the first chair because by 11, 30, 12 o'clock, the temperatures are going to rise, warm front comes through, it's going to turn to drizzle, and all that powder is going to go to a, a sloppy cement mess. Yeah. And then, so then they look at me the second day, and they're like, dude, this is awesome. We nailed it perfectly yesterday afternoon and first thing this morning. So it's just like, just knowing, like, what mountain to go to, when, what hours. Of course, I don't put all that out there on the blog, but <laughs> it's, it, you just learn so much about where to be and when. That was my next question, is, is there anything that you hold back from putting out on social media, putting out on the blog, putting out on the app? Um, not too much, just not an overload of information and try not to be too technical. The whole point of open snow and Tahoe weather before that was to take a very complicated science and chaos of weather and kind of spoon feed it in a simple to understand forecast, you know, like the evening news guy but for specifically skiers and how much snow at each elevation on each mountain so i try not to get too technical even though people try to push me to be more technical sometimes yeah the mass of people the majority that are coming up on the weekends to ski and just want to hit powder they just want to know when and where to go what the snow is going to be like have you ever been tempted to uh you know direct people um to certain areas knowing that like there's going to be this amazing you know dump in this one place and you kind of want it to yourself or you like don't want a ton of crowds <laughs> to go there have you ever been tempted to do that um I, i've been because you're basically like blowing up your own spot every oh, day oh yeah, right? yeah. I, I'm, I, I don't promote any specific mountain for that reason right. but i also don't usually promote any certain mountain because our philosophy at open snow is that we work to forecast all the mountains and we don't favor anybody so I'm not going to sit there and be like, oh, well, you know, Alpine's my mountains, and, I'm, and then you just do social media every day from Alpine. Right. Just because maybe I bought a pass there, and that's my mountain. Because we want to be seen as the forecast site for all the ski resorts evenly. So I kind of hold back from naming specific mountains, unless it's right. like a storm that's coming in the other day, I was saying, from Sierra Tahoe down to Kirkwood, down the Bear Valley, is going to get the most snow, most likely. So I'll do that, and I'll name two or three of them. Um, and I'll do it once in a while. I could be like, oh, Mount Rose could get the most because they're at 8,000 feet and up. Everyone else is going to get rain on a high elevation storm. But I'm only doing that just because of that one storm. I'm just very careful about specifically. And I, and I don't like, and I want to bash them either. I just try to stay very neutral because I know there's people that love skiing trees. There's people that love just to ski groomers. There's people that love to ski cliffs. <laughs> I have all kinds of readers. And so I'm not going to try to put my influence on what I like to do. I'm not going right. to write the blog around snowboarding at a certain mountain on a certain terrain that I like. Yeah. Um, there is the one secret mountain that I really don't mention too much. <laughs> uh, for me, it would be Homewood. And I'm mentioning it on this podcast now, but <laughs> you know, but I think it's a kind of a locally known that that's a secret mountain. Anyway. Right. Like, right. People drive by and think it's only the one run that you see from the road, and it's actually much bigger. It actually has cat skiing at the top and has some nice bowls and great powder for days after a storm so um it's a nice local spot amid yeah. all of the the huge resorts that attract like so many of the yeah the and, it, and it's on the west shore all alone yeah so for me yeah i mean if i'm trying to escape crowds and hit powder and have no one else out there and ride some old thick script lifts that make it impossible to track them out now um but yeah so that's really my only like go-to secret place but yeah that was that leads me to my next <laughs> question which is you've looked at these for so you've you've followed the, um, this information for so long, 
what are some of the sweet spots in Tahoe? If you had to point to like, if you could only ski three areas in Tahoe for the rest of your life, what would they be? <laughs> I get asked this question a lot. I would um, hope so, man. That's like the first <laughs> question that came to mind. What are your top three or top five ski resorts? Yeah. For me, it kind of breaks down by what you're looking for. I have kids and a family um, who obviously the kids are skiing different terrain than, than I'm inter- interested in. And some days I want, to, I want to ski groomers, some days I want to do trees, and some days you know, I want to do shoots in rocks. Um, so for me, I like all different kinds. So each mountain kind of has its own vibe going on. I'm more of a low key guy. I don't like the crowds and the masses and I don't like getting knocked over in a lift line by a bunch of people think they belong in the Olympics. (laughs) Um, so, so for me, narrowing all that down, um, and I live on the North side of the lake. So the South side resorts are, you know, they're all an hour and a half from my house. Um, so for me, it's probably Sugar Bowl. Uh, Alpine and uh, Homewood would be the three. And if you had to add the fourth, probably North Star, just because it's such a great family mountain, in my opinion. The kids love it there. It's, it's mellow, and they have the ice skating at the bottom and all that. So, Yeah. Back to the relationship, your relationship to the resorts for just one second. Do you get the sense that they love you, they fear you? Uh, what's that relationship like exactly? Are they a little bit discomforted by open snow and what you guys are doing? Or are they really stoked? Do they approach you guys like to, you know, um, offering some kind of partnership? How's that go? I'm always trying to think about that in my head because I get different reactions from different ski resorts. You know, I get ski resorts that have no interest in, I'll reach out, hey, can I stop by and give you some a free t-shirt and some swag and uh, just say hi. I'd like to learn a little bit about what's new this season. And they're like, nah, too busy. Okay. So, <laughs> you know, I'm not trying to sell you anything. I'm trying to give you some free stuff and just, you know, I'm going to talk about your mountain a lot. Uh, but okay. You know, and up to ski resorts uh, like Squall that I am their personal weather guy yeah. on their weather page. They pay me to do that. And I have a great relationship with them. And they email me constantly or call me and want me to stop by or email them spreadsheets, numbers. Hey, VA, where were we last year on this date? For percentage of snowfall versus today, I got to go to this meeting and I want to tell everyone, you know. So, you know, I have a very close relationship with them, and they're pulling all our data uh, on their website. Like they're they have the widgets from Open Snow, so all the temperatures, wind, snowfall forecasts are all pulling from our site to their weather page. So, it's that extreme from the one to the other. I'd say the majority of the mountains I have a friendly relationship with because they just want me to come by. I think most of them are reading us, and it's very helpful to them. For you know, a lot of people at the mountains. And operationally, it's helpful what I put out there for them. Um, so I have a pretty good relationship with most of them, and I think they like when I stop by and get free, free coverage, for sure. So 90% of them, it's really good relationship. Okay. I wanted to ask you about the reception and the, the reaction that you get from users, because you guys can, in some ways, whether it's intentional or not, you can sort of make or break like a ski weekend for somebody, you know? The way I think it is, the more they read, if they're on there every day, legitimately following along and understanding what I'm saying, they understand my methods, they followed me for years, and they know I'm doing everything I can to give them the most accurate conditions and snowfall forecast I can, and I'm telling them when it's going to rain, I'm telling them when it's going to be too windy, the lifts are going to be closed, I'm telling them, like there was two weeks ago there was a storm series, the first week of January, 
where I was telling people on social media and the blog, don't come up this weekend. The, the, the lifts are going to be closed. It's going to snow four feet of snow, but it's going to be 120 mile an hour winds the whole weekend. You're not even going to be able to get on the mountain. Right. It's going to be miserable. You know, it's not going to be worth your time, even though we're getting a lot of snow. You know, so I try to be really honest with them so they know what the expectation is. I, and I've talked to mountains, like, again, Squaw, like, I say, what are you, what are you afraid of? Are you, are you going to be mad if I say it's going to rain because I do their specific weather on their website for them? And no, they, they, I mean, for them, no. They, they say, we want people to show up in the parking lot and know what to expect. We want you to say it's raining in the, the base when it's raining at the base. Um, and so that's great because that's what I do. It carries over to what I'm doing in the blog and gaining that trust. So I think we have a lot of trust from people who follow us. But then there's the other end of the spectrum. Um, there's people who just check in for the first time or twice a season because that's when they're only coming up one weekend out of the year. Mm -hmm. And they're just like, oh, here's another weather site. And he's saying this. Let's go see what somebody else is saying. And, oh, they're all weathermen. They're wrong 50% of the time anyway. Um, and then there's the people who I think never actually read us. They don't actually read. Um, they see weather forecasts coming out on getting blown out by the ski resorts, uh, like hype headlines that are being written by newspapers or online media. And then the ski resorts are resharing that information. And they're saying huge numbers, you know, six feet of snow coming while I'm right. saying there's like one foot coming or two feet. And, uh, and then people, will come on my site, like literally go down the comments and start bashing me to vent their frustration because it didn't snow as much as the hype media was saying it was going to when I never said it was going to snow anywhere near that amount. So for me, I've kind of got the feeling after 13 years that a lot of the people who are, I have shown frustration or don't say they don't like us, it's because they don't actually even read us. Hmm. They don't understand and even know what we do. They're just making assumptions about us without actually reading. Okay. Um, and assuming we're like all the other hype media out there. But the people that follow every single day know that how much I want to be right. And I grade myself. I'm the only weatherman I know that the day after every storm says, here's what I forecast. Here's what actually fell. Here's how wrong I was. And then I keep them up to date on where I'm off, how much I'm off for the season. And I've been off um, between an inch and a half to two inches the last three years for the season. Um, so people can come on my site all day long and say I hype that don't actually read me, and I have the stats now. I started keeping stats two years ago to be able to disprove it. And uh, Yeah, that's a good defense. Yeah, yeah, I can prove it to you. I have all the stats to show. Some storms I'm off six inches under. Sometimes I'm six inches over. But on average, it's closer to two inches yeah. for the last three years. What is the most memorable piece of hate mail or <laughs> mean comment that you that comes to mind? I was just looking at one the other day that stood out. I actually snapped a picture of it because it's probably like one of the worst things. And uh, it, it was a Facebook comment. And the guy, I guess, went back and like researched me, like personally, and basically went on there and was like, I don't know why anyone listens to, you know, BA. He, you know, he only has X amount of schooling and he's not a real meteorologist and he doesn't know what he's talking about. And he goes, as a matter of fact, I don't know why anyone listens to any weathermen. And they don't know what they're talking about. Anyone listens to this guy's a fool, like, blah, blah, blah. These guys, he just does this to get paid by the ski resorts. They pay him thousands of dollars to forecast big snow amounts. And that's how he makes a living. And anyone that supports that's a fool. And I was like, holy crap. Like, which is all false, like completely across the board. It makes no sense. Like, no ski resort's going to pay you to make a fake forecast 
they're going to pay you because you have subscribers. And you're only going to have the subscribers if you have a trusted forecast that they keep coming back to every day. If I just constantly for 13 years was putting out ridiculous snowfall forecasts, I'd have no readers and then no advertisers. But that's an easy <laughs> accusation to make. You know, it's, it's really easy for people to understand who are maybe in that same boat frustrated about the winters or are just wondering how open snow works. And it seems like something, the kind of claim that could easily gain traction among followers or readers. And I, I wonder if you have gotten that sense that there's like a contingent out there of people who think that, you know, open snow is whatever in the pockets of the ski resorts or something. I think it's a contingent, but it's a small minority as far as I can tell, as far as we can tell. We continue to grow and grow and grow. You know, we're already, we already got a third of all skiers reading us and growing. So, um, you know, and, and those guys who are giving us a hard time are coming on there too. They're in the comment section on our blog giving us a hard time. Like, yeah, well, you just gave us another click. Thank you. <laughs> Like, you right. know what I mean? Like, if you hate us that much, you wouldn't read us. And uh, they're still checking in because they want to know how much snow is coming. I think, I think just in general, there's a jealousy thing out there, too. I mean, we're not celebrities and we're not rich. But, you know, you see that in that celebrity world. People just slam celebrities because they're jealous, because they're successful. They have nice houses and nice cars. Like, I think people just get jealous that for a living, we forecast snow and ski. Yeah. And they're, you know, they're not able to get out in the hill and ski because... They're working at their job all week, and so they get on the blog and just slam us because it's just fun to do because they're just jealous, I think. But I, it's never – maybe a storm or two we've, you know, will blow a season, and we deserve to be slammed. But, yeah, in general, Joel tracks his accuracy too, and it's never our intention to mislead anyone. We are so – our whole company philosophy – is to be completely transparent, honest, and accurate. And all we're trying to do is be as accurate and honest as possible. There's no motivation behind it other than that. So you guys are the oracles. And so it's, you can see how people who are so stoked on skiing or feeling antsy because it's the winter and want to get out and really want snow can get passionate about it. Mm -hmm. But what is it exactly about... On some level, it surprises me how much traction a site like Open Snow has gotten, um, just by virtue of how kind of wonky it is. But what do you think it is about snow or skiing or the mountains that makes people this passionate about these deep dive weather reports? <laughs> that's the funny part of it for me, just the, the part I love about it. it. That's me. That's how this all started, right? I'm extremely emotional about it. I'm a, you know, for me, I tell people all the time, for me personally, it's more about the snow than it is the skiing of the snow. Powder days are amazing, but I'm just as happy or happier sometimes just standing in the woods with snow dumping down around me. I just love snow. There's a love being in it, playing in it, just living in it. And so there's an emotional attachment to it. I try to explain it for myself. If you want me to explain it how it is for everyone else, I just try to look at how I, it is for me and you're right. I don't know. It's, it's the same. I grew up surfing on the beach and it's the same way. It's just, you know, riding nature, like riding a swell, like energy, the earth is producing energy and then you're harnessing that energy and riding it as a human. And the same thing with the snow. It's like nature's just pouring out this moisture and this energy, this, you know, it's something that you're then, then going to go ride and it, and the mediums are so different like surfing there's never the same texture and the same shape to a wave and the same angle 
on any given day. It's always constantly changing. It's why it's so hard to learn the sport is because it's not like tennis where the court is a clay, the same clay every day in the same net, same racket, same ball. And then you just keep practicing until you get better. I mean, when every single day the speed of the wave, the height of the wave, the shape of the wave, the angle of the wave is different every single day, your medium constantly changing. And I think that that's the same with skiing and boarding. Like, you got wet snow, you know, deep snow, not so deep of snow, light fluffy snow, you know, cakey snow in the middle, uh, windy days, sunny days. There's so many changing mediums, and people have what they like. Some people like sunny days. They don't like storm days. I love storm days. I like getting whipped in the face with cold snowflakes and getting on track powder because everyone's in the lodge getting warm. So um, I don't know. I just think there's just that human connection to nature and harnessing nature and, and riding nature. It's different in those sports, like surfing and skiing. It's like it's, it's way different than other sports where you're harnessing man-made objects. Definitely. And I think there's a, there's a connection be, to our souls with the nature that way. <laughs> and we get emotional because it, yeah. it brings us so much joy to be connected with nature in those 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 areas so that makes me wonder because so many people go to these massive resorts often on the same days when the snow is good or projected to be good that is the furthest thing from a natural experience for me you know the last time i was at heavenly it was a huge mess getting up there it was a huge mess getting home huge mess on the mountain i was like what am i doing i mean it really made me reevaluate my idea of skiing enjoying the mountains a ski weekend in, in tahoe which is you know for, for those of us who live in the bay area the most accessible and and natural place to go so i think that's interesting it, it just makes me wonder about that because i totally get what you're saying all of these people love nature want to be outside love that feeling of skiing but at the same time when you go to these places these days and it's like the the crowds and and just like the pressure they're, they're these pressure cookers and it's just overwhelming and so I just wonder, like, how, you know, how you reconcile, like, the experience that you want and that you kind of fantasize about with the experience you actually get. I think it depends. Yeah, and I think it depends on the person, too. Like, I struggle with anxiety, and my whole life is something that I've had to deal with. And, uh, and people who have anxiety know you, you find different ways to manage your anxiety. Well, one of the things I do to manage my anxiety is I don't ski on the weekends. Yeah. So, <laughs> because of that, because I get it's not enjoyable for me. Because, not because it's, it wouldn't be enjoyable, but with my anxiety that I deal with, being around large crowds and feeling the pressure to get first tracks on a powder day on a Saturday when it's going to be tracked out within the first hour, and oh, I have to get up there get first chair. That anxiety of all that just turns it off for me. Um, so you're right, and and so I think it just has to be like what. What are your expectations? You know, if you struggle with anxiety and crowds and rushes of people and things like that uh, trigger you, then yeah, you should be expecting to be triggered when you come up here on a beautiful Saturday after a storm cycle. Um, but over, in general, I think a lot of people are stuck at work all the week, right? So they don't have an option. So they have to try to make the best of it. And um, in, in the mountains, there's enough mountains that you can find your area where you're you're off to the trails on the side and you're kind of away from everyone. You're mm -hmm. not getting run over. Yeah. Um, but you got to know if you like powder or not, too. I mean, like, it's not easy to ski powder. People are like, oh, I want powder. And then they get up here and they just fall down all day and they're in the lodge <laughs> after two hours, like, totally wore out. Yeah. They think they want powder, but most people want it to snow during the week and then they want to ride the, the groomers on a Saturday and mm -hmm. then maybe have the opportunity to go off the trail a little bit and get some fresh pockets that are left over. So, yeah, it's just, what do you like? You have to kind of know what you like. And I think... 
when you were saying before about emotions, I was more talking about you know myself and the people that have ditched their high-paying jobs in the city to live up here in the mountains in an expensive area and make a lot less money just because we're that emotionally attached to the nature of it. Um, the weekend people are a different group, right? So I think for a lot of them, especially if you're like a once-a-year, twice-a-year vacation person, it's more about the, like, the nostalgia. You, you come up thinking like, Nice hotel, hot tub, fireplace, dinner downtown, you have your favorite restaurant, you have your favorite hotel that gives you that feeling that you remember from the last few years and that has that, your favorite hot tub and you have your favorite mountain that has your favorite opera ski bar and that you go to with these ex- certain friends you bring every time. Yeah, you have the, the ski outfit that you wear that you hike yeah. or whatever you get to and wear once a year, twice a year. So they're getting a good feeling from packing the car, heading to their favorite <clears throat> hotel, Going skiing, going heading up to their favorite mountain, going to their favorite restaurant, you know, and that's not, it's a completely different experience and a completely different emotional attachment than people that live here. We're, we're just going back to our same house we live in every day. We're not going to the hot tub or, you know, anything fancy like that. We're just going home and cooking ourselves dinner on the stove at our house that we go back to every day. So it's just two different emotional attachments, I feel like. For yeah. Sure. Yeah. It's funny how it's such a different frame of mind, but you're basically doing the same activity. Um, in the same space oftentimes. Um, and it's funny that you said you have, um, you don't go on weekend, you don't ski on weekends anymore. I basically made that same resolution this year too. To me, it's worth taking the day off of work to get up and go on a weekday when it's going to be wide open and just chill. Even if like the snow isn't amazing, whatever, it's such a different experience. It's so much more enjoyable. I really like come away from that day feeling chilled out and relaxed about it as opposed to coming away from a day at like a big resort when it's super popular on Saturday, Sunday, whatever, and just feeling like edgy and like I just had to like elbow my way through the day. If, if you haven't done that, if you're just a weekend warrior, I mean, I would definitely suggest that you try it once and <laughs> fall in love with it. It's, it is. It's a totally, you and I were talking today, we pulled in the Sugar Bowl. It's a Thursday. There's huge base. Every single trail's open. There's ton of snow on the mountain from the last storm cycle. It's beautiful. It's 40 degrees. The beautiful. groomers look amazing. And an hour after the mountain opened, there's literally 10 cars in the parking lot because it's a Thursday. <laughs> so, you know, our experience when we go out and ski after, after this is, you know, we're going to be the only ones out there. So, like, it's such an enjoyable experience. If you haven't skied midweek, come on up and try it out. I mean, there's people that ski midweek a few times, fall in love with it, and then they quit their jobs in the city and move up here. That's why they do that, <laughs> because they fall in love with that you know, experience that's different than the, the weekend experience for sure. Yeah. Okay. So in addition to looking at all of this data in Tahoe for the last 13 years, I'm sure you've also studied the historic snowfall patterns. Yes. Is there any, are there any broad takeaways for kind of the lay, the lay person, the lay listener in this case that they should know about, or that you think are particularly fascinating about Snowfall in Tahoe, the way that weather interacts with the Tahoe Basin. Well, you know, for the Cascades and the Sierra, we're right next to the Pacific Ocean. So <laughs> the clouds aren't losing moisture as they come in. They're picking up moisture off the ocean and then slamming in to the mountains. And then they dry out by the time they go across to the rest of the country. Um, so the, the amount of precipitation is, is just puts most of the rest of the country in awe of how much snow we can pick up. And when we pick up, like, the last storm cycle where we picked up six feet at Squaw, right, that's not 20 to 1 ratio Colorado powder. That's, like, 8 to 10 to 1 ratio snow. 
So we're not only getting incredible amounts of snow, but that's at a low snow ratio. So the amount of moisture in that snow, the amount of total precipitation is just amazing that we get here in California, Oregon, and Washington. And, uh, you know, the, the, if they get a foot of snow in Colorado, they'll get a foot of snow off of half an inch of precipitation. You know, hmm. we need an inch or more. <laughs> hmm. So uh, we get that Sierra cement, as everyone calls it. Right. But, yeah, that's why I, one of the reasons I picked here, you know, was trying to decide where I wanted to live when I knew I wanted to work in the, either the surfing or the skiing industry is because they get the biggest storms here, the most amount of snow. Being a weather lover, you know, I just thought how amazing it would be to live a place that gets three feet of snow overnight. We had two storms last March that jumped, dropped 40 plus inches overnight. Um, where else are you going to go that gets that much snow overnight? It's just incredible. Um, but yes, yeah, because we're right next to the ocean. <laughs> and so yeah. the storms come in, picking up all that moisture and bam, slam right in the mountains, which lifts the storms and squeezes out even more moisture than they would already be dropping down in the Bay area. There's obviously a lot of concern about Tahoe winters lately. Yeah. Um, do you think winters are fundamentally changing around here? Or do you think this, the, what we've seen in recent years, um, recent dry years is, you know, just kind of, um, part of a larger pattern that, you know, uh, we might be on the downswing of like a larger cycle. Any changes I've seen have just been so gradual. You know, we went through a few drought years, which were pretty extreme. You know, we didn't get any snow. Yeah. You know, and then when we went right into 140, 150% of average snow year, it was huge. Yeah, it was crazy. And then to an average year. And then the last year where it was tied with the worst season on record as of February 20th, I think. Yeah. And then we had the second biggest March in history. And we ended up the season below average, but nowhere near the bottom. The extremes here, it's just hard. I think it's hard to notice here because, you know, overall climate change is happening, it seems like, so gradually. Like, the temperatures are going up, like, so slow, and the, the weather's changing, but slowly. Because it's climate science, right? It's climate science is over decades, not over weeks. Yeah. Weather is over the weeks. So, like, it's sunny and warm today. That's not climate change. It's like, climate is something that's slowly changing over long periods of time, and so, I, yeah, it's definitely the, the, the earth's warming and the climate's changing, but it just sitting here watching, like, it's so gradual and the extremes here are so extreme. We had times in the 1930s where we went, like, eight years in a row with, like, well, well, well below average snowfall for eight years in a row. Huh. We've never had that many years of below average snowfall in a row since the 1930s. So, but we've had drought years and then we have these really wet years. So, I, it's hard to say, right? Like, we're getting less snow. Oh, no, we're not getting less snow. I mean, we just had 150% than average, and this year we're, at, we're above average again. But what I've started doing over the last 10 years is tracking the percentage of average rain versus percentage of average snow, mm -hmm. which basically would say, like, if the, let's say we have an average total precipitation average year, but the snowfall is below average, that would kind of tell you that more than the average number of storms came in with higher snow levels, so it rained, and this is at 7,000 feet I'm tracking. So more than average storms came in with higher snow levels above 7,000 feet because the snow isn't the same as the precipitation. You would think if you have 100% of average rain, you'd have this 100% of average snow. So if the snow's at 70% of average, why? Well, because more of it fell as rain at 7,000 than snow. So I've been tracking that just to see if we're averaging higher snow levels on average. It wasn't moving much. It was still kind of fluctuating until the last six years. And over the last six seasons, it's definitely starting to see, like, a definitive decline on the graph that I made, that I posted last year. 
um, at the end of the season. I posted it out for everyone on the blog. So I'll continue to track that. But yeah, it, we're, we have been in the last six years at least getting more rain than snow on average at 7,000 feet here. Um, so something to watch. But you know, it, it's it, like I said, it, it seems to be happening so gradually. I don't think that like we won't be skiing in five years. I mean, it, it's going to take a long time if the earth continues to warm. It would. It feels like it was going to take a while before it's so bad that we're not skiing anymore. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's still snow. We're looking out the window here, and it's a huge base at the bottom of the mountain. So very gradual. But do you think that maybe people will have to reconsider or reevaluate their kind of conception of winter? in Tahoe, what winter feels like, what the, what winter activities are. Yeah, I think, well, like we, we were just talking about skiing and, and one of the things I've noticed is I've, I've had these high snow levels the last, you know, 10 years, a lot of storms. And I'm always just saying to people, well, it doesn't, why do you, why do you freak out so much? It, it, you don't ski at lake level, you ski up on the mountain. And so we, it's still snowing on the mountains, just raining a lot more at lake level. And, uh, but then I, get, I got a whole bunch of crap from the, the cross-country skiers because, and the snowshoers because all, a lot of the cross-country tracks are down at lake level. Mm-hmm. And so they've been feeling it way more than ski resorts have been feeling it with the higher snow levels. You know, most of the mountains, you can ski the upper two-thirds of the mountain and not have noticed much of a difference the last 10 years. But, you know, it has rained a lot more at the bases and at lake level. So... Um, and people, I think people have noticed that. It's been raining in the parking lots a lot more of the storms in the last six, seven years. Um, but the upper mountains have been still getting average to above average snowfall. So, um, yeah, I think their expectation for cross-country skiers and the snowshoers has already started changing. Like, you're going to come up here. If you've come up here in the last six, seven years, you might be staying at the lake in a house and there's not much snow on the ground that, or none at all. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but, once you, but then people get confused because they're like, oh, there's no snow. But then as soon as you get up on the mountain, there's tons of snow because it's still snowing above 7,000 feet most of the storms. <laughs> so, yeah, I think it's we got to watch that because it's eventually if that creeps up higher and consistently snowing at 7,500 instead of 7 and then 8, and you know, the ski resorts will have to adapt to that. Yeah. How do you, how does open snow keep its edge in this space? It seems like there's more, there are more blogs, there's maybe more kind of competition or at least more voices so what do you guys do to stay ahead of the stay ahead of the curve? Right now, what we've been doing is all of our money that we've invested has been into technology. You know, we just redid the entire site this year, a brand new platform. Did the same thing for both of our apps. Launched a new app for our summer uh, program for the for Open Summit, the hiking weather, and we're working on a new website for that. So we're just constantly trying to stay ahead of the curve as far as technology, making sure everything goes flows perfectly from the website to mobile because the big shift in the last two years has been the majority of our users were desktop until two years ago, and then it was kind of 50-50 two seasons ago, and then last year mobile went, went up ahead of uh, desktop, and this year mobile use is way ahead of desktop use. So we had to redo our platform because it, what you saw on the website on your desktop looked completely different than uh, what you were seeing mobily on your phone. Now we made it so it mirrors everything and mirrors the app. And we have technology, like advertising too, like the advertising companies, are they're not buying banner ads anymore like they were when we started doing this 12 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't call you on the phone like, hey, I want to put a static banner ad on your page. 
everything's all through the cookies and then they're tracking and they know exactly how old you are, where you live, where, what you do for a living. So you could be on open snow in one house and the next door neighbor is on open snow looking at the same blog and you're looking at two sets of different ads because it's advertising to you. But we have to have the technology on our website to be able to do that to be able to get advertisers because if we still just only accepted banner ads, we'd be, a, you know, we'd lose all a lot, lot of our advertisers. Mm -hmm. So we had to keep up with that too. In the beginning, what set us apart from everyone else was we started a platform that was a lot like Surfline where we had the forecasters forecasting from where they were skiing. Like Surfline was kind of the first ones to do that where they had the surfers in each surf location as the forecasters on their site mm -hmm. for the waves. We have skiers forecasting for the mountains they're skiing in each site. Any other site out there, pretty much that's as big as ours, that's forecasting for the whole world or country for ski resorts, has one general forecast for each region coming out of one office in one state, not coming from somebody at a ski resort in each ski region. Um, so that's what set us apart. And, you know, I still feel like, you know, everyone has their favorite app, but, you know, being that it's so personal with us, it's Joel in Colorado skiing there and forecasting, me here skiing and forecasting, Evan in Utah skiing and forecasting. First of all, you'd have to be as passionate as we are. I mean, we all worked our tails off, like making zero dollars for several years, just forecasting for the love of it. Never in the beginning that I even think it was going to become a career. I was just doing it for the love of it. And uh, so you'd have to have that kind of passion that you're willing to work your butt off and make nothing, which I don't think a lot of people like to do. <laughs> and then you start a site and then you got to be able to find a way to get the first guy to show up on there. And then you got to be, I mean, it is 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You don't get day off for six months in the winter. So you got to be ready to go seven days a week on top of the weather. And you got to be accurate and you got to have a personality. You can't be dry and you got to break it down. And a lot, I feel like a lot of meteorologists don't like to do the dumbed down forecast stuff. Like, you know, they spend a lot of time in school, got their master's, got their doctorate. They're very smart people, you know, to say it's going to be sunny and light winds. Like they, they, they enjoy the in-depth discussion stuff, like the technical stuff, but the masses don't understand and they can't read that stuff. And so we were like, yeah, that's great, but we're okay with, you know, with Joel, he has his master's in meteorology and we're okay with like, getting on the website and just giving a very simple spoon fed, easy to understand. So you, so you got to be able to do all those things and then step into this new market that we're emerging into and have the money to develop a platform that can keep up with the technology. So I think, you know, I think we stepped into it at a good time 13 years ago when blogs were first coming out and you could just start a WordPress blog and go from there. And now I just think it'd be a lot harder with, with how technical everything is to just like, oh, I want to start a blog tomorrow. Mm -hmm. you know, and, and for the weather. <laughs> yeah. So that's helped us, like just getting in at the right time and uh, being one of the pioneers of what we were doing. And there are a lot more of them now, but but just we just kept that trust the whole time and uh, with our readers and just continue to kill ourselves and work ourselves to the bone out of passion for what we're doing. So you guys recently expanded with Open Summit to uh, non-winter weather reports for the mountains. Why don't you talk a little bit about that? I mean, open snow was like, we only care about snow. And now you've expanded. Right. Basically how it started was lightning strikes. The issue with people out hiking in the summer and lightning will just come out of nowhere and start striking trees around you. And when you're up, especially the higher you go, the more of a chance that happening. So it started as a 14,000 foot and up lightning forecast in Colorado to protect hikers. 
but over the last two years we've developed it into a total hiking weather forecast for the upper elevations for all the peaks in the United States. We added a, over a thousand peaks this past summer when we launched the, the app. So now you can go to most of your hiking peaks in Tahoe or anywhere in California or the west or the east, wherever you're going, any mountain you want to hike that's a popular hiking mountain that you want to go up and hike and camp, we give you the upper elevation weather forecast, winds, temperatures, all the things, and specifically the lightning forecast, because that's really important once you get up above 10,000 feet, um, so that we keep people safe too. Is there any, are there any other plans going forward with open snow? What are you guys thinking about next? We just want to continue to, we just built this new platform for the website, so we want to continue to try to give more and more of the readers what they want. Um, so we're going to continue to add more features. We're really trying to push towards the subscription side, um, just giving the subscribers what they want on our website, just adding more and more stuff to the subscription side so that people who want to know exactly when and where to ski have all the tools right at their fingertips in one spot. So we're probably going to focus on that a lot um, in the next year or two and then continue to develop the summer activity hiking site. You know, we get reached out to sometimes by sites that are doing other weather, like surfing forecasts or uh, boating forecasts, and you know, and they're like, "Oh, did you ever think maybe we could, you know, merge one day?" So, I don't think it's out of the question. One day we would consider that maybe in the future, if we once we we just feel like we have a lot more still to offer than what we're doing right now. And once we perfected that, I don't, I don't think it'd be out of the question that we could potentially like maybe merge or buy somebody or get bought and create even bigger weather platform for all outdoor activities or more outdoor activities. Um, just kind of expanding on what we're, we're doing with the snowfall forecasting. Some exciting potential. Yeah, for sure. All right, man. Well, I don't want to keep you too much longer, Brian. Uh, I know you got some skiing to do or <laughs> snowboarding. Um, so thanks very much for coming on the podcast. It was awesome. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Thanks again to Brian for making time to come on the podcast. If you want to follow his daily weather forecasts, go to opensnow.com or download the Open Snow mobile app on your phone. If you want to follow what I'm up to with California Travel, I'm on Twitter at Greg R. Thomas. Or if you've got questions for me or suggestions for who I should bring on the pod, email me at gthomas at sfchronicle.com. Wild West is a part of the San Francisco Chronicle podcast network. Find us and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. And if you like us, please throw us a rating and a review. Our music today is a track called Fuzzy and True by the Mini Vandals, and it comes courtesy of the YouTube Audio Library. See you next time.